Welcome or welcome back to the Northwood Podcast. This is Tommy, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to take a few moments to listen to this podcast today. Do me a favor, at the end of this podcast, take a moment to subscribe. That way you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. And check out our website, northwoodbaptist.com, and learn about all that's taking place in the life of our church. I hope this message blesses you, and I hope it helps you to connect faith to life. Amen. As you take your seat, take your Bible and turn to James chapter 2. James 2, 1 through 13 is where we'll spend our time together this morning as we continue our study of this wonderful letter written by the half-brother of Jesus, James 2, 1 through 13. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, James isn't too difficult to find. Just go to the end of your Bible, find Revelation, the very last book in the Bible, and then go back a few books and you'll find yourself in James. If you don't have a Bible, good news for you is in the seat before you down the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Take that copy and find James with us. And if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you and begin to read it and learn about the God who loves you. But we'll spend our time together this morning in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. All right, before we really get started, I want, I want to play a little game, okay? So I want you to participate with me. I want to ask you some questions, and, and just right where you are, uh, I want you to shout out the answer real loud so we can all hear. I, I just, just, just don't be afraid to shout in church. You'll be all right, okay? So I'm going to ask you some questions. just want everyone to respond by, by just shouting out loud. Ready? All right. What is your favorite color? All right. Heard a lot of blue, so I guess we got some depressed people. That's okay. Uh, so, uh, so here we go. Ready? What is your favorite place to vacation at? All right. In the first service, a lot of people said Charleston. Like, you, you live here. That doesn't really count. So I heard some, some good answers there. Okay, okay. Ready for this one? What's your favorite restaurant? I think Chick-fil-A is a clear winner. That's good. That's good. All right, all right, all right. Um, what is your favorite college football team? Yeah, yeah. So I overwhelmingly heard Georgia Bulldogs, so I appreciate that. And good, 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 good. Last one, last one. What is your favorite vegetable? I promise you someone said spinach. You are full of lies if you said spinach, that is for sure. My favorite vegetable is french fries and macaroni and cheese, like most of you should be, right? So, so all that to say, as, as we shouted across the room, we heard multiple answers to multiple questions because we're all different people, right? And, and we all have different preferences. In fact, when you came to church this morning and you chose to come to the 11 o'clock service because, but instead of a 9.30 service, it was partly because of preference, right? Maybe you, you enjoy this service a little more because the music's a little bit louder. You get to sleep a little bit longer at home. So you can, I don't know, but you chose to come by and large because of a preference for this time period, right? And you have a favorite color because it's your preference. And, and preferences aren't bad. That's what makes us unique is the fact that we all have preferences. That's not a bad thing. In fact, I prefer some people over other people. I know that's hard to believe, but I do, right? I prefer my family because they're my family, right? I mean, given the option of who I'm going to spend my time with, I'm going to choose my wife and my kids because you know this like I do. And I hope and pray that God leaves us here at Northwood for a very long time, for, for many years. But I know this be reality because it's life. There will come a day that, that I'm no longer the pastor at Northwood Baptist. Hopefully that's a long time from now, unless you fire 
I mean, I hope that doesn't happen, right? But there will come a day that I'm no longer the pastor at Northwood Baptist. There will be somebody else. But there will not be a day when I'm not the father of my children. And there will not be a day when I'm not my wife's husband. And so if that's the case, man, they're going to get a lot of my time. My preference is to spend my time with them. And you've got lots of preferences as well. You probably prefer to spend time with your family. You prefer this or that. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with preferences. But there is something very wrong with discrimination. And this is the issue that James addresses in these verses that we're going to look at this morning. This is a, a fascinating passage to me and, and really a, a tough pa- passage for us to, to study this morning because it's challenging. Because let's just be honest, every one of us in this room, we were raised in a culture where we were really taught in some ways to discriminate. And there's something within each one of us that wants to discriminate. And when I use that word discrimination, really all I mean by that is we have a tendency to look at people and judge people in a condemning way based on the color of their skin, based on the amount of money they have or don't have, based on their accomplishments or lack of accomplishments, based on their education or lack of education. We have a tendency to look at people and make an external judgment and say, you are good or bad based on this or that. And this is exactly what James is talking about here in in James chapter 2. And what's so fascinating to me is James is writing to believers who had been discriminated against. We saw this, right? That that James is writing primarily to Jewish believers, people who grew up in a Jewish background but converted to faith in Jesus Christ. They believed that Jesus died and rose again for them. And, And so because of their belief in Jesus, they were persecuted and driven out of their homeland, driven out of Jerusalem, driven out of Judea, and now living all across the Roman Empire. They had been discriminated against because of their religious belief. We see that happening in culture, don't we? And and now, this is what's so fascinating. These believers who've been discriminated against, now they are doing some discrimination themselves. And James says this is absolutely inconsistent with the gospel that saved you. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no room in your life for discrimination. And so so what I want to show you in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning, I want to show you three ways that we can avoid discrimination. Three ways that we can avoid not only discriminating, but also avoid the sin of partiality, showing favoritism to some while excluding others. And if you're like me, this is going to be a challenge for us to think about, to to, to receive, and to act upon because this permeates our culture and permeates our lives in such a major way. So look, we've got a lot of ground to cover and not a lot of time. So look at James chapter 2 verses 1 through 13. When you find that passage, rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. James 2, beginning in verse 1, says this, My brothers, show no no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in the faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones, the, the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? 
Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning and for the opportunity now just to spend some time in your word. And Father, this this letter that we're studying, James, it is so practical and so helpful. But it's also challenging, especially as we consider an issue like this. Because we know it. We know that we are all guilty of discriminating. And showing favoritism to people we like and, and excluding people who might not be like us for whatever reason. And so, Father, as we study your word this morning, I pray that you'd instruct us and challenge us and help us to make those changes in our lives that need to be made so that we might live consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we know you're speaking. Help us to listen carefully and respond to your voice now in obedience. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. And so right at the outset, right, James says, don't show partiality. If you hold faith in Christ, you can't do it, right? Because it is inconsistent as a Christian to say that you love Jesus, but not love some other kind of people, right? It's inconsistent to say you love Jesus and then favor some people, but exclude others. And James gives an example. Now, now you know this because we've talked about it. Here in the first century, these Jewish believers who've been, you know, expelled from their homes and are now living across the empire, they were by and large poor people. I mean, after all, they had lost their homes. They had lost their jobs. They're living in different places and they're trying to make ends meet. And they're gathering for worship. And James says, just suppose, just suppose on that Lord's day when you gather for worship, you're getting ready to to listen to someone uh, preach a message, you're singing some songs together, and all of a sudden, right, someone brings a guest in with them. And this guest, he looks different than everybody else. It's obvious that he's not like you at all. He wears fine clothing. He he wears a, a gold ring. It's obvious that he has wealth, that he's of of financial means. And all of a sudden, your brain, your mind begins to, to go to all kinds of places like this. What can this man do for us? After all, we're a bunch of, of, of lower middle class Christians. And to see this guy walk in who has money, think how he can benefit our congregation. He can help us pay off the debt, right? Or whatever the case may be. And for in this culture, in the first century, when you had so many Christians that were struggling to make ends meet, some Christians not knowing where they were going to get their next meal, man, this wealthy man, he can buy us lunch. He can take care of those needs. He can, he can, he can share his wealth with us. This is great, right? And so all of a sudden now, you've got this wealthy man who's walked into the congregation. And what are we going to do? We are going to roll out the red carpet for him. Give him the best seat. Make sure that we introduce him to all the leaders. Make sure that he knows how significant that he is. Because after all, there's a lot this man can do for us. There's a lot this man can do for the church because of all that he has. And this is really ludicrous, right? Because you don't know anything about this man. 
Sure, he might have a, a fancy coat on, and sure, he might have, be wearing a, a gold ring, but you know nothing about him except what you see on the outside. On the flip side, James says, what if on that same Sunday that wealthy man walks in, another man walks in, who is poorer than you are, who doesn't have as much as you have, and it's obvious that he's poor. It's obvious he doesn't have anything. He hasn't taken a shower in a few weeks, right? His clothes are shabby and worn out. And while you're fawning over this wealthy man, you take this poor man and you make him stand in the back or sit on the floor and you know nothing about him. You know nothing about his character. You know nothing about his heart. You ignore his need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You simply look at the way that he's dressed. You look at what he doesn't have and you make a judgment against him. This is the issue. James calls it partiality. You show favoritism to one while you exclude the other. Now look at what James says. He, he sets up the scenario, and then you come down to verse 4. Have you, you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The New Living Translation, it, it, it uh, translates this passage, judges with evil motives. Right, that, that, that in all of us there are these evil motives that, that cause us to discriminate, cause us to favor some while excluding others. And so then the question becomes: what are those evil motives? What are those evil motives that cause us to favor some people while we discriminate against other people simply based on what we see on the outside? Let me show you a couple of reasons why we do this, right? We favor people. We show partiality to people who can benefit us. I mean, think back in the context of the story, right? That, that, that James is talking about this wealthy man who can obviously, through his wealth and through his means, benefit the entire congregation. And isn't it true that you tend to associate yourself with, you tend to show favoritism to, you tend to want to be around people who can benefit you who can make your life a little bit better, who can make your life a little bit easier. You want to give all you can, right, to that boss at work because that boss has the power to give you a promotion. Or you want to do all you can, right, to kiss up to your teacher at your school because that teacher has the the power to give you the grade that you want so you can get to the college that you want. We have a tendency to show favoritism to those people that can benefit us. You, You tend to want to associate yourself with people who think like you, who act like you, who look like you, who affirm you, who make you feel good about life and make you feel good about the way that you live. We have a tendency to favor people who benefit us. We also have a tendency to favor people who we fear. I mean, think about, again, the context of what James is saying. What if this wealthy person comes into the congregation and he's not treated well? What if he comes into the congregation and he's treated just like everyone else? He's not given the special treatment. The red carpet isn't rolled out for him. What will he go home and say about us? How will he harm our reputation if we don't roll out the red carpet treatment for him? And so there could have been some fear here, right? And let's be honest, there are some people that you fear too that might say something about you that you don't want them to say about you. That might do something to you that you don't want them to do to you. And so you show them preferential treatment to the exclusion of other people. See, on the one hand, we have this tendency to play favorites. We have this tendency to be partial to people who can benefit us or partial to people who we fear. And on the other hand, we have this tendency to exclude people. 
right? To cast judgment on people, to not invest our time in people who we don't benefit from, we think, or who we, who we, who we don't see how they make our lives better. You see what I'm saying? And so on one end, we show favoritism. On the other end, we discriminate against people who don't think like us, act like us, look like us, or seem to have no, add no value to our lives. This is the issue. We show partiality and we discriminate. And the reality is, and you know this like I know it, this is not how God treats us. And aren't you glad, right? That, that when, when God saved you, he didn't look at your bank account. And he said, well, you, you, you're not making ends meet. I'm not saving you. You can't financially contribute to my kingdom. And aren't you thankful, right, that when God saved you, he didn't look at the color of your skin. And say, because you're this race or this nationality, you're excluded. And aren't you thankful that when God saved you, he did not look at your accomplishments and say, yep, you're not good enough. You ain't done enough to earn your way into my kingdom. No, God did not do that, right? In fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 11, that God shows no partiality. He doesn't discriminate. In fact, he looked at you and he saw you in spite of who you are. He knew that you were a rebel. He knew that you had sinned against him. He knew your background. He knew what you had accomplished and hadn't accomplished. He knew all of that and he chose to save you in spite of who you are through the death and resurrection of his son. You see, God shows no partiality, but this world tells us to show partiality. This world is constantly telling us to what? To pick a side, choose a team, choose a political party, choose this, choose to identify yourself with these kind of people. This world is constantly telling us that. But I think what James is saying, he's saying, listen, embrace Christ, not the culture, right? Embrace Christ, not the way of the culture. Don't embrace this attitude that says, I'm only going to show honor and respect and favoritism to people who are going to benefit me, right? Instead, look at how God has treated you. And look at how God has treated others. And you treat others in the same way that God has shown grace and mercy to you, right? When I was in seminary, I'd finished my master's degree, and I was getting ready to, to start uh, the Ph.D. program. And, and, and there was a, a gentleman, and you're going to know his name when I tell you his name in a moment. There was a gentleman uh, that, that was a little bit younger than me, but had graduated a couple years before I did and was really working his way up at, at seminary. He became a dean, and, and you might have heard his name before, David Platt. You've heard his name, David Platt? David Platt is the former um, president of our International Mission Board that we support missionaries through, and he's written a couple of books best-selling books. He pastors now at a, a very large church in, in Washington, D.C. Well, he was at seminary about the same time I was. He was a couple years ahead of me uh, academically. And, and so, so when I entered the Ph.D. program, he was assigned to me as my academic advisor. And, and, and so not only was he assigned to me as my academic advisor, but one of the first classes I took was under David Platt. And at the time, I was so frustrated by that. Because if, if anybody should be on the fast track, it should be me, right? I mean, I mean, after all, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good looking and pretty smart and all those kinds of things. And so, man, I should have been the dean of the school and written some best-selling books and all those kinds of things. But, but I, I didn't and I wasn't. And, and so, so my thought was, out of all the people on this campus, out of all the professors on this campus, surely there are some professors that I can benefit from a lot more than him. After all, he's younger than me. He didn't really have any pastoral experience. All he did was 
I don't know what he did, but, but he was over me now, and, and I just didn't like it because I didn't think that he had what it took to be a mentor to me. I needed somebody who was much further along in their career, who had actually accomplished something or whatever the case may be. And I can remember sitting in that class and just the bitterness and the, and, and the just jealousy really is what it was, the envy. And then after a course of time, that class I took under him was really one of the best classes I took in seminary. I mean, he really was an outstanding teacher, and I mean, he really was great. But, but all that to say that there was this partiality and exclusion. I was making judgment based on an assumption, based on what I saw. And just be honest, you do the same thing, and I do the same thing. In fact, look over the course of your life over the last week, the last month. Who have you spent the most time with? Who have you spent the most time investing in? Have you invested in people simply that you like, who think like you, act like you? People that you have invested in just because they might be a benefit to you? And have you spent any significant time investing in people who are not like you, who don't think like you, who don't act like you? Have you spent any significant time investing in people just for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though they don't think like you, act like you, look like you, or any of that, you see? That's embracing Christ. Embracing Christ looks past all these externals and looks at the potential in someone to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so embrace Christ, not the culture. But look at what James says. This is really fascinating. You, you read here in, in verse 1 again, James says what? My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, I want you to underline that phrase in your Bible, the Lord of glory, because this is significant, right? Now, we've said this as we've studied through James together, uh, that that James really doesn't mention his his half-brother a whole lot. He really doesn't talk about Jesus a whole lot, at least not like Paul does in his letters. I mean, we see that, that the gospel is saturates James. We've already seen that, but he doesn't mention the name Jesus a whole lot. But he does here. Hold fast the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives this description of Jesus, the Lord of glory. Now, now, many of you in this room, you've been in church a lot, and you've heard that word glory used a lot. It might be that you've heard that word glory used every Sunday you've been in church. And maybe you haven't been to church a lot. You're just showing up for the first time, and, and you're wondering, what in the world does glory mean? And, and if you've been here a while, maybe you're still wondering what in the world the word glory means, because we throw that word around a lot. But that word glory, it really has this connotation of, of weightiness, heaviness, or, or significance. Now, this is, this is significant, right? Because think back to these believers James is writing to. He's writing to believers who, who are showing some partiality, who are discriminating, and they, they have this wealthy person walk in the room. And when this wealthy person walks in the room, what do they see? Significance. Somebody who's important. Somebody who can benefit us. And let's just be honest. Every one of us in this room, what we want in life We want significance. We want to be significant, and we want to be around people who can make us significant. We all want glory. We want to know that we are somebody, right? When we were out yesterday, I I took the boys out down to Costco because every Saturday is better when you go to Costco, right? So we went to Costco and fought the craziness down there. And and on the way home, I forget what we were talking about in the car, but, but we were talking about who's in charge in our house because... I want my kids to know that I'm in charge, right? And so we were talking about um, um, 
you know, our roles in the home and how daddy's in charge and all those things you tell your kids, right? Honor your father and mother because God said so and all those kind of things. And, and so we're talking, and, and my four-year-old husband, Hudson, he, he says, Daddy, you're not in charge. Like, I mean, I get, you know, that God's ultimately in charge, but I said, Hudson, understand that God has given daddy authority in our house. Daddy is in charge, but ship up or shape out, right? So daddy is in charge. And he said, no, daddy, you're not in charge. I said, okay, big boy. Well, who's in charge? If I'm not in charge, who's in charge? He said, Nana, my mom. I'm like, my mom ain't in charge of me, right? I'm a grown man. What are you talking about? My mama's in charge. She ain't in charge. But, 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 but there I was in my car. All I want is for my boys to recognize, right, that I'm significant, that I'm somebody. But my own son thinks I'm a mama's boy, right? Man, it's terrible. You understand what I'm saying here? Man, it's awful, right? What James is saying here is we all want significance. You see this wealthy man walk in and you think he's significant. But no, there is only one who is significant. There is the Lord of glory. He is significant. You're not going to find glory in this wealth man, wealthy man. And you're not going to find glory in these poor people either. You find glory in Jesus, right? And think about the glorious one because this is so good. What the glorious one did. The glorious one left heaven and came to earth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that the one who is all glorious, he did what? He made himself poor to the point of going to a cross and dying in our place. Why? So we might become what? Rich. Isn't that good? You want glory? You want significance? It's not found in, in who you are. It's not found in who you know. In fact, James goes on to say in this passage of Scripture, Watch out with this partiality thing. Watch out with this discrimination thing because this person you're showing partiality towards, this wealthy person who you think is so significant, he might end up dragging you to court and oppressing you. And these poor people that you're excluding, that you're looking away from, these are the very ones that Christ came and lived and died and rose again for and gave them wealth. Just like he gave you wealth, not money wealth, but wealth in the kingdom, right? You want to find significance? You're not going to find it by showing favoritism to people. You find significance in Jesus Christ. In fact, I want you to see this. Embrace true glory, not a cheap substitute, right? Remember what Jesus said? Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who recognize that real wealth, real significance, real purpose, real glory, it only comes in a relationship with Jesus. So therefore, how do you you live a life that is poor in spirit, that recognizes that glory is found in Christ? You understand? Listen, you have to understand that your life has no real significance apart from Christ. I know that's kind of a downer for some of us, but that's reality. And we've said this before, and I know you know this, but just think about it. A hundred years from now, you're going to be dead and gone. And a hundred years from now, your great, great, great grandchildren, they're not even going to know your name. It's encouraging, isn't it? But they're not. They're not even going to know you existed, nor are they going to care. Unless they're on Ancestry.com trying to trace their family tree or something, right? 
But you see, you and I spend so much time trying to make ourselves significant, putting ourselves around the right people, getting the right education, getting the right job to make ourselves significant when nobody's going to remember us. But the one who lived and died and rose again for you, he will know your name for all of eternity. Do you see what I'm saying? You really only find significance in a relationship with him. And you will not find lasting significance in people. That person you're showing favoritism toward, those people that you're excluding and discriminating against, you're not going to find value in that because people let you down. And finally, think about this. You only find significance when you give your life to Jesus. That's bottom line, right? And so what James is telling us, right, the reason why we discriminate, the reason why we show partiality, the reason why we favor some and exclude others is because we're all looking for the same thing. We're all looking for glory, for significance, for meaning. And we think we can find it in other people, but James reminds us there is one who is all glorious, the Lord of glory. You're only going to find significance when you embrace his glory, right? But there's something else here I want you to see in this text before we close. James tells us that the way we fight partiality, discrimination, is by embracing Christ and not the culture, by embracing true glory and not a cheap substitute, and finally, by embracing law-keeping and not law-breaking. Now, this is where it gets really challenging for us. Look again at what James says. If you really fulfill the royal law, verse 8, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Every Jew knew this command, right? Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. And in Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, when Jesus was asked what the greatest command was, you know what he said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus went on to say that the the entire law and prophets hinge on this command to love God, everything you are, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You can understand why James would call this the royal law. Because Jesus said, his half-brother said, everything hinges on this. Now look what else it says. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now here's where I need you to come in real close. Because every one of us in this room, we've been hardwired since childhood to discriminate. Whether it's against people of a certain race, ethnic background, whether it's against people who have a lot or have a little, whether it's against people who have a certain type of education, live in a certain neighborhood, we have been hardwired since childhood to discriminate. And every one of us, what we tend to do with that is sweep it under the rug like it's no big deal because after all, that's just what we do. Pick sides, pick people, love some, hate others. That's just what we do. And what James is saying, you've got to understand this. That's law breaking. There's a royal law. Love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, if you're discriminating, right, living as a racist, if you're living as someone who looks down on somebody else because of what they don't have, you are breaking God's royal law. And and you can't sweep it under the rug. And it's as James is saying, it's like being in a courtroom and you're on trial. You're on trial for murder, and you're guilty of that murder. You've done it. And the judge is getting ready to announce a sentence on you. And he's getting ready to, to, to give you life in prison because you've committed murder. And then you object. You stand up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know I committed murder, but I've never committed adultery. So let me go. 
It's okay. I'm a good person. Otherwise, I know I murdered someone, but, but, but I've never committed adultery. haven't lied a whole lot. I'm basically a good person. What is that judge going to do? He's going to look at you and say, I don't care. You murdered someone. You're going to jail, right? And, and James is saying, listen, you've got to see this sin of partiality, this sin of discrimination in the same way. Because you might look at your life and look at God and say, God, I've been a good person, right? I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery. I've done none of those things. I'm a good person. But yet God is looking back at you and he's saying, but yes, you've discriminated against people your entire life. You've broken my royal law. Look at what else he says here. You come down to verse 12 and look at what it says. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Now we talked about this last week for just a moment. The law of liberty is Jesus himself. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 said that he came to fulfill the law on our behalf. He did what we could not do ourselves and then rose again after his death three days later when he died for us in our place. Jesus is the one who sets us free from sin and death. And so I think what James is saying here, what he's saying to those of us who have a tendency to discriminate against other people, what he's saying to us, is that if you've been set free by the law of liberty, if Jesus really has delivered you from your sins and given you a new life, it's real simple, but it's real profound, right? Live like it. If you say that Jesus is your Lord, live like it. And living like it means that you're going to put away that discriminating attitude that looks down on people because of the way they look and the way they act. Listen to what he says. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You want mercy, but if you're showing no mercy, you're not going to get any mercy. If you're constantly discriminating against other people, what it may be evident, and you've got to hear this, and I know you don't even want to hear it, but you need to because it's good for you to hear. If you're constantly discriminating, looking down on people because of what they have or don't have or because of the color of their skin, it might be evidence that you don't know Jesus at all, that you've never been set free by the law of liberty. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 or so, you might have heard these verses before. Jesus says, on that day, when I return, when I return, many will say, Lord, didn't we? Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't we cast out demons and prophesy and preach some good sermons and attend church every Sunday? Uh, Didn't we help the poor? Didn't we do this and didn't we do that? And Jesus will look at you and say, depart from me because I never knew you. You see, judgment is coming. This is what James is saying. There is going to be a day of judgment, right? And if your life is one, that has been a life of constant discrimination, a constant looking down on others, constant, constant racism, constant looking at people and say, you don't matter. That gives evidence that you don't belong to Jesus at all. And I don't care how many times you've been to church, how much good you've done, that you've never murdered, that you've never lied. Discrimination is sin. And James is saying, you cannot sweep it under the rug. You and I must deal with it. And so I want to give you just three challenges as we begin to close our time together. One, stop seeing people as opportunities for gain. God has given us the gift of relationships. 
And he's given us a gift of relationships so we can like, live in community with each other, so we like, can encourage each other in our walk with Jesus. God has given us relationships for kingdom purposes. He has not given us relationships so we can primarily benefit for ourselves, so we can get what we want out of people. God has not given us relationships so we can manipulate people to get those things out of life that we desperately want. And, and we've got to stop seeing people as obstacles. Because you've done it, right? You've driven by the homeless person on the side of the road who has a sign. And you've had the thought in his mind, because, in your mind, because I've had the thought in my mind. Why doesn't he just get a job? And you know nothing about a situation. You know nothing about our circumstances. And what you see that person as is an obstacle. Because you've got to now look at him and deal with him, Right? We, we've all been there. We've all done that. We see people as opportunities for our, our own gain, and we see people as obstacles from us getting where we want to go or getting what we want, right? And so instead of seeing people as opportunities and instead of seeing people as obstacles, start being a giver of mercy because you've been given mercy. 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived the life that you could not live yourself. He was perfect in every way. And then he went to a cross for people like you and me, people who deserve to be punished for our sins, people who deserve an eternity apart from the God of all creation. And on the cross, he showed us grace. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve. And none of us in this room, listen up, none of you deserve forgiveness of sins. And and not only that, he not only gave you grace, he gave you mercy. He withheld the punishment that was coming your way. He withheld the punishment that you justly deserve. You were given grace and mercy. Now, if you've been given grace and mercy by the God of all creation, if he has changed your life and given you a new destination, if he's given you significance and purpose, if you share in his glory, how in the world can you be a person? How can I be a person that withhold grace and mercy from other people? Because we live in a world where people desperately need just some grace and mercy. That person who's always being shunned down on, but everybody else just needs some grace and mercy. That person who you think is a drain on your time and your resources just needs to know there's a God that loves them. That person that you think, man, if I spend any more time with him, I'm going to just scream, just needs a little bit of mercy. You need it. You still need mercy. And so does everyone else. And so maybe this morning, as we close our time together, it's time to come clean. Because all across this room, myself included, we have been guilty of discrimination. Whether it's based on race, whether it's based on socioeconomic factors, whether it's based on accomplishments, education, we've all been guilty of discrimination. And we've all been guilty of partiality, showing showing favor to people because of what we want to get out of them. And maybe this morning, we need to ask God to help us to see people through his eyes and to be extenders of grace and mercy so that more people can experience the kingdom of God. And, 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 and I want you to be honest with yourself this morning because this is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of eternity. There might be some of us in this room this morning, you've been in church every Sunday as long as you can remember. But you also know this about yourself, that for all of your Christian life, all you've done has been hateful discrimination, racist, bigoted. Hear me with as much love as I can muster up. You're not a follower of Jesus. 
that's you? Just constantly discriminating against people? I don't care how many times you've been to church. You don't belong to him. Because if you belong to Jesus, it changes your heart in such a way that you want to extend grace and mercy. In such a way that you don't see skin color anymore. You see people made in the image of God who need a relationship with Jesus. And so maybe this morning, you just need to be honest with yourself and honest with God that there's a change that needs to take place in your life. You need the gospel to know that you're a sinner who can be forgiven and given a new perspective on life, finding glory in Jesus Christ and seeing people as he sees them. Maybe this morning, for the first time, you need to give your life to Jesus. I want to encourage you today to give your life to the one who lived and died and rose again for you. To ask him to forgive you of your sins and ask him to help you to live a life that is consistent with his will. Law-keeping instead of law-breaking. Maybe you're here this morning and you know you're a believer. You've seen your heart changed, but you still struggle a bit. And you know those people right now that you're discriminating against. Maybe this morning for you it's just coming and asking God to forgive you again. And helping, asking him to help you to continue to put away that discriminating way in you. Maybe you're here. And you just showed up to church today for the very first time. You've never been in a church. I don't know. There's a God that loves you, who looks past who you are, looks past your, your, your sin, looks past where you came from, looks past all those things, and just wants a relationship with you. This morning, believe that he died and rose again for you. And if you'll give your life to him, you can have a brand new life. Here's what we want you to do. We're going to have a time of prayer together. And as we pray, we're going to ask you to respond to how God is leading you this morning. In the corners of this room, you'll see two crosses. After I get done praying, there will be some, some counselors at those two crosses. If you just want somebody to pray with you, you make your way back there. And there'll be someone who'll be glad to pray with you. And, 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 and ask God to help you to live a life that, that is consistent with his will. If this morning, you're here this morning, and you know that you need to give your life to Jesus for the very first time. You need to believe that he died and rose again. There'll be somebody at one of those crosses who would gladly have a conversation with you and help you to know how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. However, you need to respond this morning. You go to one of those two crosses. There'll be people waiting for you. I'll be down front. I'd love to talk to you as well. If you want me to pray with you, I'd love to. However, God leads you this morning. You respond now in obedience. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you for time in your word. And Father, we confess that we do indeed have a tendency to be a discriminating people. For some of us, it's characterized our whole lives. We don't want to admit it, but some of us are racist. We don't want to admit it, but some of us always look down on others who aren't as successful as we think we are. And Father, if if that's us, there's a good likelihood that we've never really experienced grace because grace changes us. And so, Father, I pray for that person who might be here who is the constant discriminator, that today the gospel will set that person free. Father, for those of us who are followers of yours, we know we still struggle with this even as followers of Jesus. And so, Father, if there is a discriminating spirit within us, if we've discriminated even this past week, help us to confess that to you now. And help us to be a people who want to invest in people, regardless of who they are, so that everybody might have a chance to know of the God that loves them. Father, for that person here, who's never experienced the grace of Christ, salvation, I pray this morning that person will believe that Jesus died and rose again for them. So we're trusting now in these moments that you're going to have your way as we respond to you in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. You rise your feet as a time of invitation together and you respond now as the Spirit of God
leads you to respond.